Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. We have a relationship with God that says, I was gracious to you. I loved you when you didn't love me. I was good to you when you didn't even like me yet, when you weren't even aware of who I was. So I'm gracious. I'm good to you when you were not good. Therefore, as your eyes are open to who I am and what I've done, you don't earn favor with God but you can respond in obedient worship. And that's what God wants. God wants people that are saying, I'm not earning God's favor. I'm so blessed that God has favored me despite all my flaws and and things that I've done in my life that it's my pleasure to serve the Lord. We live in a society where everything is at our fingertips. If only we're willing to work for it, but God goes against the grain. Pastor Bill reminds us today that there's nothing that you can actively do in order to earn salvation or grace or love from God. Those things are given freely already. If only you accept them. It's an unnatural feeling to be completely accepted, even when all our flaws are known. If you receive Christ, you know that everything you do is merely in response to everything he's already done. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. I want to give a a brief introduction to the book of Ephesians, and then we're going to jump right in. That's kind of how I like to do it. The book of Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it from prison. This is one of the letters that he wrote while he was in prison. And uh, I always, always marvel at that, you know, that Paul, when he was in prison, rather than tooling his thumbs or, you know, getting on the weight pile or whatever, whatever they would have done back in that era, you know, Paul would be in prison instead of feeling sorry for himself like some of us would be doing. Paul said, man, I got this downtime. I'm a right to encourage other believers. And so many of Paul's letters were written from prison. Uh, We call them the prison epistles from Paul. And so he wrote this letter from prison. This is a unique letter. A lot of Paul's letters, as we're going through them, we see they've been written to correct things. The letter, we we went through 1 and 2 Corinthians, and that was all about correcting false doctrine and carnal behavior in a church. Uh, We just finished the book of Galatians, which was Paul correcting people that were falling back into legalism and Judaism. Uh, The book of Ephesians is different in that Paul's not writing to correct them about anything. Paul's writing a group of believers where he had established some works. Uh, The works seemed to be going well. And Paul is writing this letter to further build up. And so Ephesians is probably of all the letters that Paul has written, the most doctrinally rich, dense. It's got lots of Lots of doctrines and things. And this is what I want you to gather, right? Because this, is, this applies to our spiritual lives. When you get beyond the place where God's got to keep telling you to stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that, then God can take you into the deeper things. God can take, there are other things God wants to talk to you about. Amen? And so we look at Paul's letters and to the group that was carnal and tripping out, Paul got to talk to him about that. But to this group that's not doing any of those things, Paul's like, I want to take you guys, I want to express to you guys deeper things about who God is and what he's done for you. And so we'll see in this book, it's, it's deep, it's rich. The book of Ephesians, it breaks into two halves. It's six chapters. The first three chapters is picture of the gospel story. We're going to see all the things that God has done for us. Uh, the second half, chapter four, five, and six, it's our story how it is that we should be responding to all that God has done. So I went through this thing with some of the boys this summer, little boys Bible boot camp, And I, I told them in the first three chapters, I wanted them to go through and write down, number all the things God has done for us. Um, if you guys wanted to do that on your own, I would encourage you. There's 42 things. Um, you can go through chapters one, two, and three, and you can find 42 instances where 
This is what God did. This is what God did. This is what God did. Then as we come to chapters four, five and six and begin to look at all the things that God is now wanting us to live in. We live in response to the gospel. And I want to make this point as well, because this is probably the biggest difference between Christianity and many of the other religions outside of the fact that our God is only one true God who died and rose again and still lives. Um, you know, so that I mean, that's that's kind of a big deal, too. Amen. You know, so but one of the other big things is most religions are man's attempts to to reach God and something that they're doing to be holy or sanctified. The gospel says, no, no, no. Before you did anything. God says, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. What you did was receive what I did. So so God initiated the work. We've responded to the work. So now everything we do in response to the gospel, it's in response to what God has already done, right? That's the that's the relationship we have with God. We we have a relationship with God that says, I was gracious to you. I loved you when you didn't love me. I was good to you when you didn't even like me yet, when you weren't even aware of who I was. So I'm gracious. I'm good to you when you were not good. Therefore, as your eyes are open to who I am and what I've done, you don't earn favor with God, but you can respond in obedient worship. And that's what God wants. God wants people that are saying, I'm not earning God's favor. I'm so blessed that God has favored me despite all my flaws and, and things that I've done in my life, that it's my pleasure to serve the Lord. And that's that's the difference of the gospel. We're responding. We're not initiating anything. And so it should keep the Christian in a, in a very humble place. Amen. Um, we should be the most worshipful of all groups because we have a God that's worthy to be worshiped. All he's done for us. And so we're going to as we go through these first three chapters, I will highlight, you know, we'll go through the things that we're looking at that. God has done for us. And so uh, let's jump right in. In verse one, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, hey, it's similar to how he opens up many of his letters, says his name, Paul, lets him know he's an apostle. I should explain because I hate that I have to do this, but we live in an era right now where everybody and their mama want to be an apostle. So it's, it's really ridiculous. But here it is. An apostle in the biblical sense was someone who had received the gospel and biblical instruction, direct connect straight from Jesus Christ himself. Amen. And so that way, when they spoke, when Paul said, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm speaking to you as an apostle, he spoke with apostolic authority. I didn't get this from down the road. I didn't get this from Rabbi Ronkadon. I got this straight from Jesus Christ. I'm giving it to you exactly as I got it from the Lord. You know that you were getting it cut and dry. And so we have in our Bible the record of the God used the apostles to write for us. Um, Holy Spirit inspired them. So today you have men and women in churches that are wanting to, it's no longer big enough to be a pastor. And then it was a bishop and now it's an apostle. And um, now there's even a, a, you know, you'll be the great apostle. It, it just, it just goes on and on. Here's the fallacy in that because don't ever let some human being tell you that they speak with apostolic authority because they don't. That's over. God spoke. I mean, you read your Bible. I'm, we read Ephesians. This is speaking with apostolic authority. But somebody get up in a pulpit and say, now I'm an apostle and I got some new word. The Lord spoke to me last night and he'd be telling you some stuff that you can't even find in your Bible. But want you to receive it with apostolic authority. That's someone that's saying, I, I want this position in your life and nobody deserves that position in your life. Amen. Because here's the job. When you look at the true apostles, when they got done speaking, they weren't asking for money. You know, what they were drawing you to to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what a real apostle will do. He'll make he'll, he'll he'll express and expound the word of God, the gospel in such a way that that you'll be looking to Jesus and your relationship with the Lord is going to be what, what's important. So 
But Paul says, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I am what I am by the will of God. I didn't, men didn't will me to be this. I wasn't voted in by people. Um, and you guys know Paul's testimony, right? On the Damascus road, on his way to persecute Christians, the Lord came to him in his resurrected form, knocked him off his high horse and brought Paul. Paul was led to the Lord by the Lord. That's a unique testimony. I mean, I, everybody else, you know, somebody witnessed to me, shared. Paul was like, no, the Lord came in his resurrected form and led me to him. And so that's a unique testimony, but that's Paul's testimony. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. And so to the, the believers that are there in the region of Ephesus, this is written to them. But he says also to the faithful in Jesus Christ. You should note that because the book is very doctrinal. We're going to see. And when we get to chapters four, five and six, and he's expressing what we should be doing, the book of Ephesians is written to believers. It's written to the faithful in Jesus Christ. And so we want to read it as such. A lot of what we're reading is only true for the believer. Even as we're going to begin chapter one, looking at all the things that God has done for us, he's done this for the believer. And so um, I just want to point that out because everything we read is not true for everybody. Uh, there are things that we read in the word of God that are just true for believers. If you're here and you're not a believer, you can be one today. That extension is out to everybody, to all who will come, let them come. And so look at now verse two, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's common greeting of grace and peace. And if you understand those two words, right, you really can't have peace before grace. Uh, grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor toward you, toward me. And as you become a recipient of grace, as you become someone that responds to the grace of God, God has given you what you don't deserve, expressed to you, which you, you know, you, you don't you haven't earned it, haven't deserved it. When you come under the grace of God, then you finally can have peace with God and you can be at peace with the Lord. No longer at war with God. Non-believers, the Bible says, are at war with God. They're at enmity with the Lord. But for the believer, the person that's come to the grace of God, God says, now you're at peace with God. Grace and peace to you. From who? From God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Something else we'll see in this chapter is all three persons of the Trinity at work. So if you're writing notes, you can write this down and we'll see it as we go. Uh, we'll see the work of the father in verses three through six. We'll see the work of the son, Jesus, in verses seven and eight. And we'll see the work of the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14. That's all in, in, verse, in chapter one. So once again, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse three, we, we begin down the list of things that God has done for us. And first, there's a there's a there's a worship. There's a blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the father and the son here who has what has the father done? who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. And I want you to know, God has blessed you with every, what kind of blessing? Spiritual blessing. Why do I point that out? Because there's a movement in the church today to emphasize uh, material blessings and physical things. But God says, no, what I've done is so much greater. What I've blessed you with is greater than a material blessing, a new thing. God bless you with every spiritual blessing. And the location of those blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, it's in your relationship with him. And so while there's a movement in the church, while there's a prosperity gospel uh, people and everything else that are encouraging people to want stuff, they're they're actually encouraging idolatry in the name of Jesus. And so while that's taking place, God is saying, Paul is saying, look, 
God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so when you go back to your Old Testament and you look at the blessing uh, upon the, the Jew, um, those that were under the law was very, it was physical blessings as, a, a, along with the spiritual. You know, they were promised that they were obedient to God, that God would send the rain, their crops would be watered, um, that they would prosper in that way, that they would expand in the land. But as we come to the New Testament, God says, I, I'm, we're not living for this place, right? We're pilgrims passing through. And if we're not careful as New Testament believers, we'll start living like the world. We'll start valuing this place down here a little too much. And if, if we're not even more careful with some of the things that are out there today, we'll start looking for God to bless us with something here because we don't value what he wants to give us. Guys, I, I bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. The things that I'm doing for you, money can't buy. Beginning with your salvation. You can't have enough money to save yourself, could you? You can't have enough money to be right with God. You could never have purchased your own salvation. God says, start there. What I've done for you, money could never buy. Spiritual blessings, forgiveness of your sins, right relationship with God, entrance into the presence of the Lord with no guilt, no shame, nothing impeding you between you and him. God did that for you and for me. We, we learn in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, that before we got saved, we were separated from God by what? What separated us? Our sins, your iniquities. God says, my, my hand wasn't short that it couldn't save. My ears not deaf that it could not hear. But it was your sins that have separated between you and your God so that he would not hear you. And now we come to the New Testament where God says there's nothing separating between you and God. You can cry out to the Lord 24-7. He's listening. Right? Any time of day. Gabe texted me this morning. I just got pulled over by the CHP. You know, I, I, I pray. I thought, I'm like, Lord, be merciful. Have mercy. I mean, and I believe that wherever he was on the 105 and I was here in the bathroom, but I'm like, God, you're right there. And you can you can be merciful to him. Be merciful. Let it work out. Let him get away. And I, he got here and I, I, I wanted to hear what happened. I got to fix a ticket. Praise God, man. Mercy. Hallelujah. You know, I mean, I believe that he's wherever we, you know, he's everywhere. We have access to God for everything all the time. How come? That's a spiritual blessing. You can't buy access to, to the Lord like that, but God grants it to us. And I can go on and on and on, but God says, look, I've made available to you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so for the believer, we have to rejoice in that. Uh, I have to understand that what I have is I, I have from the Lord is, is I have access to God. I, it might be worth studying. It might be worth spending some time meditating on, especially if you broke. Maybe, maybe you kicking cans about the things you don't have. But you got a relationship with the Lord. Sometimes we just spend some time meditating on what we do have. Because if God took everything away, if you're saved, you got everything. You got everything. There are people that die million, billion trillionaires. When they die, they're broke, spiritually bankrupt. That money doesn't go with you. That money doesn't do anything for you in the next realm. There are people that have lived down here poor on purpose, serving the Lord, sending up ahead. Jesus told his disciples, don't store your treasure down here on earth where moth and dust corrupt, where thieves break in and steal. He said, don't do it. It's a trick. It's an old trick. He says, what? Send it up ahead. Store your treasure in heaven where moth and dust don't corrupt, where thieves don't break in and steal. You got to do that by faith because if you're storing treasure in heaven, you don't see it today, right? If you've been living for God, serving God behind closed doors for the last 10 years, you don't see what's there. It's in faith that you serve the Lord like that. But when you get there, you won't be disappointed that you did. Amen. And so once again, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse four, 
Now we get into some technical things here. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read verse five, four and five together, and I'll come back and explain the difference between God chose us and he predestined us. So verse four tells us he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse five says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. So let me roll back. Verse four. First of all, it says God chose us. Um, this is a doctrine. It's called the doctrine of election. Some people, and I'm just going to tell you the error of this doctrine up front, then I'll tell you the truth of it. The error of where Calvinists or some people take the doctrine of election where God says, I chose you, right? I chose you before the foundation. I predestined you to be adopted as sons. Some people say, well, since God chose you, that means that he didn't choose you. And so God is choosing you for heaven. You can go. You can go. Not you. Not you. You can go. That's not the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that God does choose. And so the question becomes and where people start racking their brains, how does he do it? What is the criteria that God uses to choose? We know from another verse that God predestines according to foreknowledge. What does he foreknow in order to choose? All these questions rack men's brains. And I'm going to tell you how to keep it simple. Don't ever speak beyond the scriptures and you'll be safe. Right. Don't ever say more than the Bible says and you'll be fine. There's some things that God has revealed that we can know them. They're revealed. They're there in black and white in my Bible. There's some things where I'm like, I don't understand that other part. If God didn't speak on it, you shouldn't speak on it. Amen. And so now the doctrine of election. So it's, it's God saying, look, I've chosen. I've chosen people to be saved. We saw that in, in other places in the world where God, Jesus said in John 15, 16, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And you think, well, what about how did God choose me? I, last night, a friend of mine from my neighborhood I grew up in, uh, he posted a picture of some of the guys I grew up with. I just looked at that picture of us. We were kids. We were about eighth graders, you know, and I wasn't in the picture, but my, some of my buddies are. And, you know, it kind of took me back. And I looked at that picture and I thought, wow, God took God chose me. I mean, I wasn't slated to be saved back then. I wasn't my, my family didn't go to church back then. I'm looking at this picture and thinking, man, God saved me. I mean, I'm standing here today. I, I don't I can't say, well, you know, because, you know, it was this thing. No idea. Mercy, grace, favor, goodness unmerited, undeserved favor, God chose me. I, I just, what, what I need to be is thankful. What I need to be saying is, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to qualify it. I'm, I don't know why. I just grace God. I know there was nothing about me back then, or even now, but, but him. He chose me. And so, here go some other verses. I want you to take notes. I want you to write these verses down just to have them for your own edification. So, write down 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I'll read that right now. Second Thessalonians 2.13. It says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. And so here it says God chose you for sanctification. So he chose you to be set apart by him and for him. He chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. And so um, it's this strange thing where we know that people that end up saved had to believe the truth. But God said, I chose you. So some people would say, well, God chooses us based on his foreknowledge that we would choose, that we would believe the truth. I don't disagree with that. It just, it's just, I, I like to just say what it says. I just know God chose. I know that those that were chosen would eventually believe the truth. I love what Chuck Smith used to say. You want to know if you're chosen? Believe the truth today. 
If you, if you have questions in your mind, because one thing that we do know is all that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God doesn't turn anybody away. There's no one that says, God, I want to be saved. And he's like, no, nah, you're one of my chosen list. You know, so while we don't know all the particulars, we do know that those who believe are saved, that those who cry out are heard. Anybody that would turn to the Lord will be received. We know those things. And so so God does choose men for salvation. Believers are those who are elect or according to the foreknowledge of God. So uh, we have a verse. If you write down notes, write down first Peter chapter one, verse two, where in that verse, it does say that God elects according to his foreknowledge. Again, we don't know what he foreknows. This is what we do know. God foreknows everything. So I often kind of consider this about my life. When I was in high school running amok and there was no there was no thought that I would one day be saved or be a pastor. It's laughable to some of my friends that haven't seen me in a long time. And they're like, what, you, what are you up to? Tell them I'm a pastor. Get out. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. I'm not even offended. You know, like I know. It was, there was nothing about that era that said that dude's going to be a pastor one day. You know, I, I can see it in you, brother. The way you walk around here, you know, what, it was nothing there. You know, so I get it. I understand the, the, the shock that there is. I'm still shocked. It's laughable, you know, but first Peter one, two, it says elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the father in sanctification of the spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. It says elect according to the foreknowledge of God. God foreknows everything. I do know this. I do know that when I was in high school that I had no clue about God, that God knew that I was going to be saved one day. God knows everything. God knew that one day it was he was going to get through. God knew that one day these eyes were going to be open. This heart was going to open up. God knew that in 95, I was going to be saved. I didn't know it yet. He knew. And so rather or not that factors in is irrelevant. He knew. Um, I'm, again, I'm thankful to be chosen. I'm thankful that he picked me. I'm thankful to be on the team. I do know this. I do know that I had an opportunity to be saved when I was 16 and I rejected the Lord. I exercised my free will and said, no, I don't want to do this. And I went on about my life wrecking havoc on myself for three more years. And I believe if I died in those three years, I would have went to hell. Guilty of rejecting Jesus. I believe that. I believe that God was merciful to me and let me live three more years and you know use people to bring the gospel. And God knew how I was wired. God used, God used people. He used my buddy Curtis to preach to me. He used a guy at the airport to hand me a tract that said, what to do to go to hell? Nothing. And, you know, told me I was already going to hell because I don't believe. And he used a sequence of things to bring me to a place where I understood that one, God was reaching out to me. Two, that I was going to die and go to hell if I didn't turn. And somehow this thing that I had, I had, I had a tight argument against every Christian that would come. Most Christians live foul. And so any Christian came to me that I know you was living foul, I blast you about your lifestyle. Shut up. You have sex, you get drunk, you drink more than I do, you smoke weed, you do drugs, you come buy weed from me, now you're gonna preach the gospel to me, go home. You know, that that was my most most people I knew that went to church wasn't about nothing. Thankfully, my buddy Curtis, that guy is the first Christian I knew that there was a real, like, legitimate, his life turned around. And I used to try to hey man, come to the thing, I'll pay for everything. He was like, No, I'm good, bro, I don't do it no more. Like, come on, man. You know, and I'll try to bait him in and he just wouldn't. I went to go work out with him. And we him had a we had a scuffle one year. We was kids on a Fourth of July, so I'm like he'll fight. And we go to work out, and I'm like I'm gonna just I'm gonna disrespect him until we can get something cracked. I mean I want I just want to see the old Kirk come out, you know. And I'm pressing him, and he's like man, he's like he's just not dealing with you. Just he just wouldn't bite. And I remember because of that when he would share, I felt like I gotta listen because I know he's really about this. 
So really be careful about your witness and your testimony because that was who God had to use in my life because I wasn't hearing nobody fake. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Ephesians is full of relevant content that can be applied to us today. One of the biggest themes throughout Paul's New Testament letter is unity. We live in a culture that seems to love to disagree, but the Bible is very clear about seeking unity even when you disagree. Of course, this isn't always easy, but unity is a big part of who God is and what He desires for you. So the next time you disagree with someone, don't see them as an enemy. See them as a brother or sister in Christ and ask the Lord to soften your heart for that person. If you're struggling with this in your life, feel free to text or call us and we'll be more happy to pray for you. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that number is 310-245-4811. And if you're ever in the Inglewood area, we want to meet you in person. Our service times are on Sundays at 10 a.m. and on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are unable to visit us in person, we stream our services online. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website was CalvaryInglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Ephesians, and you won't want to miss it. So be sure to join us next time, right here on A Transforming Word.